0: Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 437. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast. First, I'd like to give a shout out and thanks for putting up a review of the show to Truth Teller 82, who put up a wonderful review on Apple Podcasts. This week's interview is with Tom Rainsford. Tom is marketing director of Beavertown Brewery the fast-growing London-based brewery that was set up just 10 years ago with such recognizable names as Neck Oil, Bones and Gamma Ray. Previously, Tom was Director of Brand, Engagement and Culture at the mobile network operator Gifgaf, where he spent 12 years. With a mission to encourage everyone to unleash their creative potential, Beavertown is not your ordinary company. With an executive team that professes to be a group of failed musicians, to a band that prefers to think as a band, Tom is leading a standout marketing effort. In this conversation with Tom, we look at how BeaverTown has come to break through so fast, what drives their marketing tone and outputs, how to recruit when you want to do things differently, and the lessons learned that might help unleash your creative potential. You'll find all the show notes on mintredial.com and please do consider to drop in your rating and review. And don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show with Tom. Tom Rainsford, my Lord, how fun is this? I got to listen to you uh, just wow an audience at an event we held, was held in, a first event in this pandemic-y world, uh, in real life in a long time. And you impressed me very much, you and the brand that you work for. So Tom, in your own words, uh, who are you? (laughs)
1: Um, I am Tom Rayston I am the marketing director at Beaver Town Brewery and we are based in Tottenham in London. Brilliant
0: so you've been marketing director since September 2019 says your LinkedIn profile tell us your journey to Beaver Town.
1: Yeah so um, an interesting one so um, I sort of you know finished university and then was sort of trying to work out what I was going to do with my life. Ended up in working in marketing and doing sort of FMCG and a bit of kind of health and beauty and pharma and sort of stuff like that. And, it, and you know, it was sort of all right, but I was like, oh, well, this isn't hugely interesting. And I think a bit that interested me most was kind of if you like an, an apologist with a certain kind of like youth marketing and that led me to work for T-Mobile who became EE. And I guess from there, you know, I was rung up one day by a headhunter that said, "This is a weird project that uh, this network is going to do, but we can't tell you anything about it. Do so you want to come down and find out?" And I thought, well, I might as well, you know, I've got nothing to lose and no information to go on. And basically, that turned out to be DISCA, which is uh, a mobile network in the in the UK and MBO. Um, and me and fourteen other people launched that in 2009, and I looked after everything from, you know, the brand, and the creative output values, culture, all that kind of good stuff with brilliant and amazing people. And we built that business from zero to being what it is today. And it's very much loved and awarded and all that kind of good things. So I did that for for, for 10 years, which was an incredible journey, taking up essentially what was a startup business into being, you know, a really successful business. Um, And then I wanted to do something different, really. I sort of felt that I'd I'd, I'd done that for a while. And um, I was familiar with Beaver town from a consumer perspective uh, and I'm also a supporter Spurs, Tottenham Hotspur and they've got a new stadium or well, newish stadium that they opened and, and Beaver town have a micro brewery, the only one in the world or certainly the only one in Europe um, in a football stadium and I went to the opening of the stadium and I was there and I was looking around and I was thinking with my mate a couple of neck oils down and I was thinking yeah this is a brand that you know I could see myself working for so I picked up with um Logan, the founder, and Tala, who looks after all of our people, and um, and they happen to be in a similar space, looking for a similar type of person. So it was kind of serendipitous, really. Started the conversation, went from there, joined, and you know, and you know, loving it since.
0: I love it. So let's um, just for one second um, lean in on this topic of youth marketing. How would you characterize? That um and how is it different from old person marketing?
1: Yeah, well, I think it, it, it's a good point. And I think, you know, so I think I joined T Mobile in 2006, maybe seven or something. It's like a long time ago. And the world was a very different place. Like, it, just, it you know, like this is pre pre pandemic by, you know, quite considerable measurements. Um, and I think or po- time- or post
0: or you could say it post post pandemic, yes, yes, but
1: exactly. another one. Yeah, exactly. The the, the 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 previous one, or maybe even the one the one before that. So, I think at the time it was kind of like you know there was a bit of a, a, a bit of a land grab over mobile. It was still at the point of growth. You know, it was still figuring out exactly what it was going to be and. It was a little bit like it was kind of segmentation, not really segmentation. So there were brands that skewed a bit more family and a brands that skewed a bit more young and stuff. And I guess my point was, I liked brands that want to do things differently and are challengers. And certainly that was, you know, the case of why I got, you know, involved in GIFGAF and, and subsequently Beaver Town, because the premise of Gift Graph was David versus Goliath, right? It was all about big mobile brands, big boys would have had it too good for too long. The system doesn't work; the consumers don't benefit. Let's completely screw the model. And you know, when we launched that brand in 2009, Blockbuster was still the number one place to go and get videos from, right? Which is nuts, right? Because the system didn't didn't work. Um, yeah, exactly, right. So, um. So, you know, we need to change the model. Um, So I think it's kind of like, I don't think there is a difference now between young people marketing and old people marketing. And actually, there's some really interesting studies about how um, uh, I can't remember quite the stats, but there was something like, you know, 90% of all people over the age of 70 think that they're unique and 90% of people aged between 18 and 24 think they're unique. So it's like you don't get older and think you become less unique um so i don't think there is a difference now uh if i'm honest i think that where brands can be smart is actually it's about um uh mindset rather than demographic but you can't buy media in mindset uh in mindset yet although arguably in some ways you can um you know, you have to buy demographically, but but equally, actually, smart brands, you know, it kind of doesn't matter, right? Do you feel the brand? Do you like the brand? Does it resonate with you? Does it stand and align to your value set? And that's kind of regardless, or should be regardless, about demographic and all the rest of it. So, um, so I think that 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 terminology probably doesn't exist anymore.
0: It's interesting the idea of of mindset marketing. I mean, the the, the term we hear a lot about is neuromarketing. But that's more about clicking and, you know, getting actions to happen and so, so on and so forth. Whereas mindset marketing is a little bit more upstream. Would you not agree?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, for me, good, good brands are both rational and emotional. Um, and I think, you know, in, in, in recent years, particularly startup, particularly with the catalyst of social media, mobile technology, technology. Um, cloud technology, apps, and Google. We have got very focused on functional, frictionless marketing, right? Which is like clean UX flows, get people A to B, Amazon, da-da-da-da. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? But I don't feel a, emotional about those brands. I don't feel I have a connection with them. They they meet a functional need. What I think is important is that brands still play an emotional role. They need to do the hygiene stuff, the functional stuff, but they need to play an emotional role. And I think that's where it becomes very interesting. And I think there you are playing with mindset. You are aligning to value sets. You are aligning to people's personal belief systems and purposes. And that might simply be, um, I want to have a great night out, and this is a brand that enables me to do that. Or it might be I completely agree with the political stance of, you know, this brand giving tax cuts to you know employees and da, 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 da and that's fine and you know but it but it, but that's not about a clean UX flow that's about your personal alignment to that brand great brands should balance those two things
0: in my experience I, I've seen so much more of the rational cognitive uh, performance numbers element and, and obviously we have automation in the marketing the, the funny thought that I have is that so many People will think, well, there is no, there shouldn't be emotion in this. It's all about you know performance and numbers, but they they forget that when you fuck up automation, you piss off your customers, and if that ain't emotion, what is? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, com- completely. I think I think the thing is is you know I consistently sort of think I might be slightly mad for multiple reasons, you know, related to marketing and just you know general mindset, but I grew up in the nineties, right? And, you know, you had these brilliant Levi ads, TV ads that had amazing soundtracks that became cultural moments because the soundtrack would go to number one. Everyone at school would talk about the ads and, you know, they'd sell a load of products and become, you know, the biggest brand at that time. You know, and, and, and we moved from that into very straight data number-led marketing now, it shouldn't be one or the other. It needs to be a balance. But to the point that you made earlier, we do, we are leaning and have leaned quite hard into that sort of Google world. And I think my madness comes on, am I wrong? <laughs> right? Like, because I feel like I, there's not many people left on this island, right? Or actually, maybe I'm right. And we just need to pull it back and address it a little bit because it's much easier to say, well, this banner ad did this and here's some numbers and here's why, but it's like, well, you know, it's your point. Like if you get it wrong, then you're lost. And actually, interestingly, if you think about COVID and lockdowns, it became very functional. And I think a lot of brands couldn't understand why people weren't coming to their website. And it's like, well, they're not coming to the website because they don't remember your brand, right? Because they don't have a relationship with it. Right? So you know, so they don't, they don't, they don't have a relationship with it. So you need to have that brand and that resonance to, to build a relationship.
0: So, let, uh, if we have chance, we'll, we're going to talk a little bit more about marketing. But Beavertown, maybe not everybody knows who is and how is Beavertown founded in 2011. Obviously linked in with Tottenham Hotspurs, the football club in North East London. I think it's East, right? Um, Tell us about the founding of Beaver Town and how did this brand come to exist as it is today?
1: Yeah, so it's founded by a guy called Logan Plant, and he was in a band. He was in on tour in America, and he was sort of just running out of steam with it a bit. You know, it'd been a long tour. You know, highlights, low lights. You know, and they were in New York, and this was sort of just at the very early start of that sort of craft beer revolution in the US. And the US led it, you know, by by a country mile before anyone else sort of caught up with it. And he was in Brooklyn and he went to kind of like a barbecue beer joint and there were sort of, you know, great meats and beers to go with him and all the rest of it. And he just thought, I might have a go at this. So he, you know, quite literally quit quit the band, came back to the UK and just started cooking you know beers at home on a on a rice pan on his hob with his you know kids running around and all the rest of it and then him and his uh wife started um a barbecue joint which is called dukes um which was in east london um and then slowly you know they sort of did you know amazing meats, and then um people just started to really dig the beer and like the beer. It was almost like the beer became more famous than than the food and and the restaurant. And he sort of thought, right, well, maybe I've got a bit of an angle. So he started to perfect the recipes and and speak to some of the guys and girls in the US to sort of learn, you know, some of the craft and really listen and become a bit of a sponge for craft beer. Meanwhile, one of the waiters he was working at the restaurant, he's called Nick Dwyer, who's just uh, graduated from St. Martin's and um he was a, a, a designer graphic designer visual illustrator and he basically was just sort of doodling and showing them to logan and logan started digging them and then they started turning them into um beer labels and then basically then he had the, the beer, the physical beard and he had the work that nick did which is that visual world that people are kind of most familiar with um from from beaver town and then the name came because Dukes was based in de Bourdieu town in East London and, and locally apparently it's known as Beaver Town and that's kind of where it came from so they stuck those three things together and that was you know how Beaver Town was born in 2011 and it's grown from literally quite literally being in a kitchen of a house to being in a kitchen of a restaurant to being on an estate in Tottenham and we recently opened you know London's biggest brewery uh or towards Emfield, uh, just out of Tottenham. So yeah, it's 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 a huge huge growth. Um, and you know, I've worked for lots of brands that, that people love, and people really really love this brand. It's 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 amazing, and people dig the you know the beers like Neckel and Gammaray, and people dig the visual identity that we have as well. So you know, it was sort of born out of Logan and then Nick, um, uh, and that's sort of where where Beavertown comes from.
0: Right. So I'm fascinated by those type of journeys because you know some people will imagine i had all out of the out of the gate i knew what i was doing it doesn't sound like that in this case there was a sort of like a patchwork of incidences and serendipitous encounters that comes up with it and how did you get to the voice of beavertown
1: yeah, no, I, th- I think, you know, I think definitely Logan and Nick would quite happily say that it was um, moments of inspiration, serendipitous moments, happy accidents, and and, and it's just sort of really o- organically grew. Um, and one of the big, you know, challenges that we've been on as, as a business is how do you take all of that wonderful magic, right, both internally and externally, and turn that into a highly functioning business that, you know, are in all the shops you wanted to be in and all the, you know, and all the pubs and restaurants you wanted to be in as well. So, you know, that's definitely been part of the journey. It definitely, you know, there was no, you know, 10, 12 step plan, 90 day plan two year domination, you know, I just, just, you know, it just wasn't, wasn't that sort of journey. And, and actually, you know, brands talk a lot about authenticity and have to retrofit and recreate the authenticity if it kind of wasn't there. But to, certainly, to a to a large degree, it it kind of is. And I think you can you can literally taste that in a bit. You know, you can you know that you, you can taste that in the product. There is a a palette which is kind of Logan's palette to the drinks that we make. Now, luckily, lots of other people enjoy the types of drinks that that Logan and Nick and, you know, the people that work here do. So that, that kind of helps, but yeah, it's been, um, it's definitely been a, um, you know, a journey with, you know, lots of kind of zigzagging in it. So
0: on your website, you say that you are producing in your Enfield place, 90 million pints. What's your footprint around the world? Where are the markets that are the biggest and, and growing the fastest and or?
1: Yeah, yeah, so U- UK is by far the biggest and that's the one that we've concentrated on. There's certain um, elements of Europe, which are big, Scandinavia, um, France, um, and some other countries as well. And that's sort of the you know part of what the, the, the future plan is. But it's really about you know concentrating on the UK and I think the the, the the reason for that is the US really led craft beer, as I said before. I think UK were followed that. I don't think they followed it particularly quickly, actually. I think it took a while for it to kind of take off. I think Southeast Asia, it's massively taken off in as well. And obviously Australasia, um, Europe, slightly less so. Um, and actually, I think there's lots of different reasons. You know, in France, they obviously have huge consumption of wine, and therefore beer is not necessarily has the same sort of cultural role that it does in the UK. So I think for us, it's like, rather than concentrating lots of different pots, let's concentrate on one, do a really good job, nail it, and then move on. So the main focus, you know, has has always been and continues to be the UK.
0: Well, if I were a a large... Uh, brewery in the United States. Uh, and I saw Beavertown. For me, it's a shoe in to buy you because we will have the footprint, the distribution challenges that come with a new country. And uh, the British element of Beavertown, that particularly goofy uh, palette and, and palette of colors, palette of design, and all that, that has to work. So I, I'm extremely bullish on, on you guys in general. Now that you're in charge of marketing, though, Tom, you've you've got this patchwork of things, a specific palette. You've got these kooky names and and images, neck oil, gamma ray, whatever. Um, when you're in other countries, do you, how to what extent do you have the that that need to render typical and the same the identity of the brand. You know like all that, when you get into big well, it's the pantone color for this and it's this size typeface for that and where are you in that kind of a um a place.
1: Yeah, um we it's still extremely organic. I guess the 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 thing for us is about, you know, how do we take this brand which is loved and just put it in front of more people right as 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 it is and my role really is like how do you bottle up or can up the magic and uh not lose any of that stuff that we talked about from the sort of founding elements of it but do it in a way which is still accessible to people that know nothing about craft it Right. And I think it's very important actually that it is accessible for people that know nothing about craft beer. Ultimately, beer should just be there as a complement for having a good time and, you know, meeting with friends and hanging out with your family and whatever else. Right. So we have to we have to do that. Now there has to be a level of taking the sort of madness that's within the brand and translating it from design into marketing, but without losing any of the stuff. And that is a really, really thin line. And something I you know, say a lot is we are a coherent brand. We are not a consistent brand. So all of our cans look different. The logo is sometimes different, which is just, you know, w- w- from a traditional sense, it's just utter madness, right? But the logo can be different in different places. It can even have different colors on it. Like, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't you know, tradition doesn't make any sense at all. But consumers are smart enough, I think, and we think, to be able to understand the coherency of of the brand. So the challenge is bottling up all of that magic, keeping some of that uh, madness, turning it into something that actually functions and delivers in the marketing sense, um, and continues to get the beer in front of people that might want it rather than getting to the point where here's a brand book here's some font sizes here's some colors there's now it would be an awful lot easier an awful lot easier to do that right and logic and experience tells you that that is the way to do it but it just doesn't feel right actually and it and it's sometimes frustrates people because they're like well just you know if you just give me the thing and tell me the color and and but, but it kind of has to go through the process, and Nick is heavily involved in everything, right? He's sort of still, you know, he will one day be drawing, you know, the ad that goes on the side of a bus, and the next day he might be drawing a beard, right? And he wants to do that, because it still needs to have his- um, Imprimature. Artistic, yeah, yeah, and his artistic stamp on it. And when it doesn't, you see it, you know? And then it doesn't go out the door, you know? Well, so it's, I, it's, 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 it's madness and,
0: and, and a, and a bit of magic, I think. Well, Tom, I personally have, uh, I mean, having lived through the old versions of the traditional style of marketing, and you, you mentioned youth marketing, but for sure, marketing as a genre or a metier has changed, because we've got so many more different ways to do it. And, and, um and I think that breaking those codes is, is fascinating. Because as you say, you're cons- you're coherent, not necessarily consistent. Being that you're selling beers, you also have lots of regulations as to where you can market it. Uh, obviously, you have on trade and on tra- off trade and, and those types of configurations. I was wondering, how do you deal with social media? What is your, I, you know, just obviously from an educational standpoint, because you're in a regulated industry, I and certainly people listening may not know all the constraints and those would be different by country but uh, you know with a brand that thinks like a band you're clearly going to be out there and people are going to be even if it's not the star of the barbecue people are going to be wanting to show it do photographs i would love to know how do you manage that piece
1: yeah so i guess at the uh, at the root of all of it is we will comply and adhere to all regulations that we need to you know you can't you have to say you're 18 to get onto the website and all the all the sensible things that are there for very very good age gates Mm -hmm. yeah so we will we will always adhere to all of that i think from that then it becomes a question over the type of brand you are so how do you want to portray yourself on on social media regardless of sector And then I think there's certain decisions that you have to make, you know, moralistically probably sounds a bit too strong, but certainly, you know, you have to decide how you want the brand to be portrayed. So if you look at how hard sensors are advertising themselves, it's, you know, very party focused, very young, good looking people, all having a great time, consumption, right? And that's cool. And if they want to do that, that's fine. I think ours is actually more built on our social media channels, to me, are editorial channels. So it's almost, the way I talk about it a lot is it's like a magazine, right? So every post is a different page on a magazine. Some might lead more towards product. You know, you've got an ad in a, in a traditional magazine that might have some, you know, conditioner stuck to it or whatever back in the day. And then the next one might be An interview or the next one might be just a photography shoot or whatever right and social should be that that textual experience of bringing uh to life different aspects of of the brand so some of those things from a regulatory point of view we we need to be more um conscious of particularly the the product stuff it's more editorially led and it's just a piece of artwork or it's just a skeleton or, you know, we, we have what we call gamma people that have, you know, gamma guns and shoot stuff and blow stuff up, then, you know, it, it, it's more editorial. So, so it's kind of, um we can take a more branded approach to that than, than the product approach, but it's it's important that our social channels uh deliver the voice to the brand, because I think at times brands get, lost and forget why they do social they sort of do social because they feel like they need to do social but it's like well you've got to have a reason to do it right because otherwise it's noise so what what's the reason what's the why so you know we try to create a kind of interesting engaging way that delivers the brand you know with you know multiple channels multiple formats and all that kind of stuff but ultimately it, it's a tapestry it's a magazine of different things and if you don't like one post it's fine and the next one you might and and i think that that's you know that social when it's done well feels like it should flow into your newsfeed and it should be a part of you know what happens and it reminds you of why you follow rather than uh a hard sales tool you know or or, or highly repetitive That's another sort she
2: was greetings from evergreen podcasts we're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you the information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers i know most people don't like ads but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on we promise it will only take a few minutes but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous as a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to EvergreenPodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show.
0: Right. So we were talking about rational and um, KPIs at some level. How do you measure social media then? Is there a, a, a beavertown way of measuring, which is different?
1: Yeah, well, I sort of have an ongoing joke around, we should measure marketing by how many people get tattoos. Um, <laughs> and people, uh, and, I love and people that. Do. Yeah, it's amazing. We, I mean, there was some, I saw two last week in fact, actually, um, which is incredible, and it's amazing, you know, that people want to have that level of, of, of affinity with the brand. Um, and interestingly, actually, you know, someone, uh, we've got some advertising line and sort of above the line at the moment, and someone was hanging out of their flat window and took a photo of our ad on the side of a bus and sent it, emailed it to us and said, look what I've just seen, right? That's not rational behavior. People don't take photos of advertising on the side of the buses and then send it to the company that's doing it saying, look what I've seen, right? So the brand really has such strong affinity So from a measurement perspective, beyond tattoos, you know, we look at all the traditional measurements, you know, we look at the level of engagement, we look at level of saves, level of shares, you know, follows, unfollows, all that normal stuff that you have. For me, all of that needs to have, um, it needs to ring true that ultimately it's gonna drive a level of word of mouth and social buzz. And that word of mouth and social buzz will then flow up into your higher level awareness consideration or you know whatever your brand equity measurements and uh, and metrics are do the ladders always ladder down where you can walk into a room and show exactly how a goes to b and b goes no absolutely not and that is the eternal dilemma of marketing directors marketing departments you know you know across the world But I think if you can show the vibrancy of the channel, right, and the level of engagement and excitement and positivity, I think it goes a long way. Because I think, again, back to that rational and emotional thing, you're kind of winning hearts and minds, right? Both internally and externally, look, look at this highly visible channel. Now we've done this thing and 1,000 people, 2,000 people, 5,000, whatever, have liked, shared, saved and engaged with. And I think that's really important. I think the last thing on measurement is, regardless of algorithms and what does what and you know blah 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 dark arts and all the rest of it, people talking to their mates and your channels about what you're doing and having a conversation with the brand is the thing that makes me most excited and I like most. Now whether or not that you know ranks us up the algorithms and all the rest of it, you know, maybe, maybe not but people care right? like the person hanging out the window, taking a photo. If you tag four mates and they go, Oh guys, have you seen this? It's amazing. Like that for me is, you know, that for me is, is, you know, payback.
0: I love it. Really. That is what I would characterize as mindset marketing, what you're talking about. And the, the, the brand, the, the tattoo story is absolutely hilarious because about, I don't know, five or six years ago, I wrote a piece about, does your brand pass the brand tattoo test? And absolutely right. cottoned in on that. And and um, and why I really uh, was keen to have you on, I've I've long said that uh when you there's a conference for some people who might know it called South by Southwest that had been going on for many, many years in the weird town of Austin, Texas. And um, and what was brilliant about it, we had interactive film and music. I don't know if you've ever gone, Tom. Have you gone?
1: I haven't gone. I've, um, I've almost got there twice, but I've never, I've never committed.
0: So um, <laughs> it's a, a fantastic uh, place. It's got this whole thing called interactive, all about digital and new tech. And then you have these other ones, which are nominally completely different audiences, different participants, which is all around film, and then music. And I always said, well, you know, if you're a marketer, forget the interactive piece. Go check out the bands how they market themselves go check out the films how they how they create great stories and market those stories and that's where you should get inspiration didn't really work because people too fixated but you guys have and i loved what you said you know don't think like a brand think like a band okay so now we said that what would you say are one or two tips that other marketers could could consider because obviously they they might be working for a pharmaceutical company or a bank it's a little bit long way to go but what within that idea of considering yourself like a band because maybe you need to be like a, a Bach you know orchestra as opposed to a punk band
1: yeah yeah no t- totally yeah it's a really it's, it's a really good point actually I think um I mean interestingly you know there's all types of different people that, that work at Beaver Town and that's, you know, one of the great things about it. We do, however, you know, over-index, as, as I've said before, in people that are failed musicians. So all of us have done that, like desperately trying to, you know, hand out flyers or, you know, do it virtually and get people to sign up to come to gigs and texting people and all that sort of, you know, grassroots, you know, which I'm sure in textbooks is like guerrilla marketing. Um, because you want people to come to your show, right? Because you care, you give a shit, right? Because you spent so long writing songs that you care about and pouring your heart out. And it, yeah, right. So there's a, there's an element of you just have to have skin in the game, and you have to, you know, part of it is you have to care about the brands you work for and with. You have you have to at least have some kind of personal alignment because otherwise it becomes a very functional transaction so i think at the root of all of it is you kind of want to get in the mix right you kind of want to get out on the street handing out flyers you know the whole analogy you know classic analogy is sweeping the floors you know so there's there's an effort reward aspect to it so i think i think that's one thing i think the orchestration and the conductor point is a good one and and i have actively thought about that. You reminded me actually, I I, I used to talk about how my, you know, one of my previous roles as, you know, the brand director gift gap was around orchestrating the campaigns, you know, so you you are the rock solid, I know what this piece of music is going to sound like, I know where we want to, you know, what we want to deliver to the audience, right? And I've always said for an audience, I would rather the audience walk out or cry and sit there and think it's nice, right? You know. Yeah. So the right, you know, when they perform, you know, when the right of spring was performed for the first time, supposedly the history says there was a riot, right? Amazing! I like, think that's amazing. What an amazing thing to create. So you've got to orchestrate that feeling you're getting across to that audience, and whether or not that's a, you know, omnichannel approach, or you know, above the line or below the line, or it's you know, CRM, whatever it is, right? you're the orchestrator that makes all of that happen. And in part, it's, it's, it's an album, isn't it? Like, it's not just one, you don't wanna just have one hit, right? You wanna construct a whole visceral and emotional, you know, feeling across what you do for a brand over a period of time i'm that, thinking more I,
0: i'm thinking more like a double album than a single album actually yeah well yeah, like, to, yeah tommy yeah, exactly. you know that kind of a thing from the who <laughs> where you've got where it's because one album is almost just a little is a lot of singles almost double album that's a that's a freaking story seconds out that's a freaking
1: story yeah yeah exactly exactly so i think if you can you know, you have to have commitment to do that, though, don't you? Right. Mm-hmm. You have to have a vision, and you have to see it through. And equally, some people are not going to like it, right?
0: And that's you great. You kind
1: of have to. You, have to accept that that.
0: you need to have that, actually. You know, let them ha- let yeah. them have their
1: riot. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's important. Bit. It's hard to do, right? Because you're worried about
0: what takes courage in
1: central politics. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly, and, and and that's hard. So I think that grassroots attitude that conduct a role of having a vision, a purpose, and, stu- and, and, and stuff that people feel like that they can, you know, your orchestra can do and believe in, and let them have their solos and their moments and all the rest of it, and also having that courage and that, you know, commitment to see it through. I think, I think anyone, regardless of business or sector, can do that. And you don't, you know, you don't need to, you know, fight the good fight every day on a rainy Monday in January where you're, broken you just you know want to go back to bed but you know you've got to turn it on you know when it when it's when it's appropriate and i think you know that that for me i think is is possible for 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 anyone really
0: so uh, to be clear i if i were to wear tattoos i would feel like one of your little you have a choice of little icons and the mindset and, the, and your mission, which is to encourage everyone to unleash their creative potential. There's so many wonderful, wholesome elements, wholesome in, a, in, a, in an ethical component to it, despite the fact that we're talking about drinking beer per se, let's say that some people might think that not so good, but I, I mm. absolutely adore it. One of the things that I, I always maintain, or I certainly made a central part in my last book, You Lead, I talk about how your your number one fans must be your employees. So I was wondering how that is within Beaver Town and to what extent and how do you recruit? You know, how many failed times have you tried to be a musician?
1: Um, I mean, I've failed at being a musician from when I was 13 to 30 something <laughs> like, you know, and and, and, and there's, there's a part of me that still thinks that, like, well, maybe, you know, I'll just make some sort of like, you know, uh, uh entirely instrumental sort of like mindfulness one tonal album and 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 that will sort of you know be my moment but i haven't haven't quite got there so ultimately failed a lot of times and and continuing to fail i agree with you culture is the you know number one catalyst for a hugely successful business versus a successful business or not a successful business. There's a fantastic book called The Advantage, and I'm rubbish at names, so I can't remember who wrote it. But I'll find um, it. And what, yeah, what it what it what it talks about is every business tries to hire great strategists, great marketers, great finance people, great you know production people, you know, etc., etc., etc. The advantage of businesses that have low levels of politics, high levels of communication celebrate and support brilliant talent um, removal and management of poor talent um, clear vision etc etc and that is so true right because ultimately if the experience of the people that work for the business is very different than the experience that happens online or in the real world not only are we that work for businesses in the real world, right? So it's not as if we're completely divorced and the lines are completely blurred through you know Glassdoor and LinkedIn and all the rest of it. But so so that'll just seep into in into the world. But you can't expect people the spirit and the evangelism and the you know support has to be infectious internally because it just has to seep into what you do, certainly from a marketing perspective. And if it doesn't, then you just sort of, you know, you're just mediocre, aren't you? So I think culture is undoubtedly uh, the most important thing. And I think from a Beaver Town specific perspective, it's been on such a huge growth journey and it's continuing. You know, as I said, from the marketing perspective, how do you bottle up all that greatness, you know, from the early days and the spirit of it, the spirit? And bring that and continue to have that as we travel through difficult times like the last year a year and a half and into much more you know better positive prosperous times in the future and, and and that's the key thing what's important is it's not my job but it is my job it's not logan's job but it is logan's job it's not nick's job but it is nick's job it, everyone has to be there to deliver that culture and that is unbelievably important and i think that you know i think that businesses to get that right um you know tr- truly truly deliver great things
0: all right so beavertown manner of recruitment uh in the question so you play a rock and roll do you play a, an instrument laddie or yeah. um and where do you find beavertown employees i mean i presumably there's some linkedin-ness because i've seen you you're looking for people actually now but how do you recruit in a way that fits into that type of mindset?
1: Yeah, so I think um, I used to ask people uh, at the end of interviews, what's the last song you listen to? And then people just said, looked at me and said songs they thought I liked. So I stopped asking that question. So I started asking, what's the one song you would put on a playlist if we were having that playlist in an?" Uh, or you know tap room or, or whatever else. So, you know, the, 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 there are, you know, those questions. I think what we find from a recruitment perspective is a lot of it is dependent on um role. So particularly from brewers and production, they often it's it's a tight family actually, and there's a lot of word of mouth that that happens around well actually it's pretty cool to work here or it's really interesting we're working on this new staff, or you know whatever it might be so from a production perspective it's often driven through relationships and actually we have brothers and sisters that work here that have kind of you know work in different teams and almost you know started their careers together and, and grown up which is great. Yeah, we do all the traditional stuff that you'd you'd expect. You know, we put roles on social media, we put roles on LinkedIn and all of that, and you know, and you know, and it's great, and we use our own networks. I think for us, there's definitely a, a cultural feel perspective. You know, I remember when I went to meet Logan for the first time and his um office is above the brewery um in Tottenham. And the volume of music was so loud to the point where i was leaning in to try and hear what Logan was asking me without sort of looking weird like i was. you know i want
0: want to kiss you (laughs)
1: Yeah. yeah exactly like a complete sort of psychotic kissing maniac um and i just thought you know this this is the spirit of it you know and I used to hold meetings in in our tap room, which was next to the brewery, and again, really loud music. And I sort of almost did it deliberately. And it sort of made the meeting harder, but you just felt, sometimes literally in your eardrums, the the, the, the spirit and the culture of the business. And what's important is, if you come to those things and you think, God, oh, I wish I'd turned the music down, you know, then, then you're not right, you know? So actually, just those... Sort of accidental cultural moments are quite good proof points for the culture and the type of people you 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 want to bring in. um And of course, we look at all the things like you know um you know I hired uh, an amazing guy called Will from Paddy Power recently. You know Paddy Power, amazing. You know what? You know why? Why would you not want to hire someone from there? So of course, we look at stuff. They that come with well, a sense of humor. But, yeah, oh, they definitely come with a sense for you, and, and it happens still, That's it's not a criteria it also supports support Tottenham Hotspur, so that is a, that's a right. I, I was going to
0: wonder about that, because uh, I'm a I'm a fan of the Reds of Liverpool, so yeah. I, I'm feeling like I'm a persona non grata um, in, in your space. But then, it, you know, when we talked about this brand book idea, we got the logo, we got the typeface and all that kind of malarkey, we've got the imagery, we've got that going on. Then there's this notion of voice. And and within this now I'm hearing, there's actually a type of music because I could tolerate some music loudly better than others. So if you're playing screechy music that kind of rubs me the wrong way, well, that is actually more a testament of the taste of music as opposed to the loudness of the music. If you were to put the Grateful Dead on, I don't wanna hear you anymore. I just wanna hear the Grateful Dead. So yeah, that's how I roll, as if you will. I mean, you know, as older we get, a little bit more sensitive on the eardrums, but in in it does feel like you need to actually have a, a harmony with this the taste of music as well.
1: Well, I, I mean, it's it's a very interesting point actually. So, um, you know, when when I grew up in the nineties, you either liked metal or you liked what at the time was called jungle, and then sort of morphed into jungle drum base. bass and uh, people would literally have you know street fights over their tribes mine's better and, than yours yeah and it was you know it's still sort of a bit weird really and it was sort of like but i like i sort of like both but you sort of weren't allowed and you know it's, it's confusing you know being a 14 13 year old is you know a confusing time um and what spotify did arguably you could even drag that back to Napster and Lime Wire and all the rest of it, is, yes, it democratised music and we can argue about whether or not that's a good or a bad thing of rights and, and earning money for musicians, but, you know, let's part that for the moment. Yeah. What it did is it gave people access to all types of different genres of music. So it's not just one sort of type. Now, I think craft beer traditionally leans into guides with beards and top knots and guitars. And I think that's a sort of more coincidental than, than deliberate. But what we try to do as a brand is we try to be genre So we've worked with, you know, Worldwide FM, We Out Here, which is, um, you know, Charles Peterson of World Music and Jazz, Latin. Hip hop. We've also worked with the idols who are, you know, British, punk, indie, you know, political, you know, and actually the similarities, right? There's, you know, highly political Latin music that you want to dance to, and there's highly political punk music that you know you want to get in a fit to and you know smash down some beers and you know break a chair. You don't have to separate those things. You can have those two things together. Um, so it's important, actually, that, 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 that we are journalists and using the analogy of, of the brewers, you know, I remember listening, you know, being in a meeting, and there was, you know, Black Sabbath, you know, I, I can't remember what, war pigs, a uh, deafening volume, followed by Ronnie size, followed by, you know, some French pop, you know, and it's like, well, well, why not? You know, I think it's important. And I think what that does is it actually says, we're sort of here for everyone as well. Back to the point of, you know, you don't need to be deep into craft beer to enjoy our beer. If you are wicked, and that's cool, right? We don't need to play the guitar to be able to like a song. You know,
0: you can just like a song. The thing that struck me about what you just said is that it's actually, the link is the political stance rather than the musical taste
1: yeah i think i think the link is the link is um uh a value actually i think it's about open-mindedness i think it's about i'm trying to avoid the word inclusivity but i think it is about you know we are all just people you know and i think that that you know definitely comes from logan's personality which is around you know being very open you know to to points of view different people different experiences and i think that's brought its way all the way down into what we might put on a spotify playlist you know um so it's definitely it's definitely an openness you know if you if, if you you know are teleported from the 90s and you only listen to metallica megadeth and Machine Head, then you're going to come to our tap room hear a playlist and every half an hour you might like a song but you'll hate the other 28 minutes so you know you, you don't share that value set that we share
0: got it so last uh, zone of questions tom is around e-commerce obviously during lockdown uh, digital took off for everybody who woke up to the its potential e-commerce um of course it's complicated because you're an alcohol company but um, tell us about the success of your e-commerce as part of your strategy. How much does it represent, if you can tell us? And what's selling? Is it more merchandise? Is it actually beer? And uh, within the merchandise, I want to know what's the top seller.
1: Yeah, so we um, we were doing, prior to lockdown, about 20,000 pounds a month. And then quite literally overnight, that went up to 100,000 pounds. And you know, we saw a huge spike. And those spikes coincided with all types of different government decisions, but also things like, you know, the football that that happened recently. So there's been a huge transformation in our e-commerce team. And Hannah that runs it has done an amazing job. I mean, literally, we had a room with one or two people, which was windowless and a bit grotty with a crap Bluetooth speaker, um, sticking stuff in envelopes. And now we have, you know, a big warehouse with, packing tables and all the stuff that you'd expect to get, you know, beer out the door from the e-commerce perspective. So it really has been night and day. Now, COVID hit us hard, you know, 80%, 85% of our trade is on trade. So we, you know, that closed. We lost that overnight. Restaurants and, and so on. Yeah, yeah. Just, just you know, closed um, in line with lockdown and, and, and the government guidelines. So we lost that. E-commerce helped, but it certainly didn't, you know, plug the gap. So we've seen a huge transformation, you know, by far what people buy is beer, right? (laughs) Like it sounds, it sounds pretty obvious and people buy, you know, they buy in bulk because it's like, well, you're not going to just buy one or two cans. And actually it's about different behavior, isn't it? If you're going to pop into a supermarket, you know, we're in Waitrose, Tesco, you know, all the places you'd expect us to be, you know, you might buy a four pack and, you know, stick it in your basket and, you know, buy your groceries and all the rest of it. If you come into our website, you're going to buy 24 beers you might peruse our specials we have a monthly special that launches every single month almost every month you know there's lots of demand for those types of experimentation um, and we do all sorts of wild and and wonderful things we sell a lot of you know glassware people love our glasses you know i'm c- convinced that we're the most stolen pint glass in the country you know so people people when they're not stealing them people buy them which is nice but we do we do make up a large proportion of kind of merch because of the you know, we deliberately try to make t-shirts that, you know, look like band t-shirts, basically. And and that's not because we want to make t-shirts that look like band t-shirts. We make t-shirts, and they happen to look like band t-shirts. Mm-hmm. So you know, beer is is by far our our biggest seller, but it's supported by other sort of items that people sort of make up into their you know total basket. So. It, it's 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 a fantastic part of our business and this huge growth of opportunities in it and i'm amazed that um certainly traditional beer brands just completely underestimate and don't seem to get involved in the world of owning direct channels and I, and i get it because it's about dilute or fear of dilution and fear of capitalization um capitalization through cannibalization there's a general fear of capitalization that's another thing um you know, uh, uh, but, you know, let's, you know, let's make hay while the sun shines. So, um, so yeah, together. Right. Right. It's, it's well, really uh,
0: they are so generally far away from your mindset. It is a, a country mile to use an expression you had before, away from it. So rock on, as they would say. I um, personally, I've the, the name of your uh, psychedelic pint glass has already, you got me going, as you can imagine. And I've I long lasted it and lusted after one. So now I know how to find one on the website. Tom, thank you so much for coming on the show. What is the best way that anyone could follow you, contact you and of course get a taste for uh, the wonderful Beavertown products and merchandise?
1: Yeah, so um, if people want to follow me, they can follow me on um, LinkedIn or I am on Instagram. So they can pop up over there and uh look at some photos of stuff that happens every now and again. Um and of course they can go to our um website um and pick up all the beer that they want for, you know, wonderful occasions. It's it's you know, it's uh, it might be sunny soon, it's kind of the summer, so you know, it's a perfect time to uh, get some beers in. So
0: well, anytime's yeah. a good time, Tom. Um, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. Drink responsibly, of course. Um anyway, Tom, super, thanks very much for coming on the show.
1: Wonderful. Thank
0: you so much. Thanks for having listened to this episode of the Minter Dialogue podcast. If you like the show and would like to support me, please consider a donation on patreon.com forward slash Minter You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast service. And as ever, rating and reviews are the real currency for podcasts. You'll find the show notes with over 2,000 and more blog posts on minterdialogue.com. Check out my documentary film and four books, including my last one, You Lead How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer A Convinced Man.